past month, we have been celebrating our new building. We've been talking about who we are as, as a church, what we value. Our series has been Family Values. These are the values and the attitudes that are, we, are, that are directed in how we live and how we interact in community. The things that we as a church want to be known for as people walk through our doors. See, these values are incredibly important. We want to be known for something different to the people who are on the outside. We don't want to be known for our programs. We don't want to be known for the size of our church or for the preaching. But we want to be known on how we interact and how we live with each other. Pastor Kevin has already discussed these values where we love outrageously, where we are a gospel people. Last week he talked about how we are biblically rooted and how everything that we do is rooted in the truths of Scripture. Today our value is that we belong together. Restoration Church is a place where we belong to each other. So the passage that Pastor Kevin read us this morning is uh, the thought is coming, going all the way back to John 13. So chapters John 13 through 17 is called Jesus' farewell discourse. He is giving his disciples uh, just hours before the cross on how they are supposed to live in light of his coming death, burial, resurrection, and then finally ascension. In these five chapters, Jesus is summarizing everything that he had been teaching over the course of his last three years. And to be a fly on that wall that evening as he is going through unpacking everything that he had already been taught, I would have paid probably good money to be there. But in all of this, John 17 is Jesus' longest recorded prayer in Scripture. And we are invited to listen in on what, he, what, what matters most to Jesus, and that's people. What is important about this prayer is that Jesus prays for all believers. So spend just hours before he's going to die, he is praying for every believer. Look at verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Sometimes when you're seeing these and those and this and that, sometimes it's good to just stop and ask the question, who is Jesus talking about? Again, John 17 is a prayer, so he's praying for specific people. We find that in verses 1 through 5, it is him praying between him and the Lord, uh, God our Father. In verses 6 through 19, we find that Jesus is praying for his 11 disciples. What is he praying for them? He is praying for their protection. He is praying for their unity. He is praying for their growth. But in verses 20 through 23, he shifts and he begins to pray for his disciples' disciples. And in a word, he is praying for all believers all time. You know what this means? Hours before Jesus is killed on the cross, he is praying for you. He's praying for Restoration Church. He's praying for me. He is praying for our protection, for our growth, for our unity. He's praying for Yakima in mind. This is 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is praying for you. What this illustrates for us is that it shows us that uh, the deep love that Christ has for his people. It shows us his, his thoughts, shows us his mind. 
And it shows us that we matter to Jesus. Now knowing who Jesus is praying for, we're able to see what he desires or why he's praying. So this is Jesus' first desire, that the church is one. And look at verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. That's kind of confusing, right? You're reading that, you're like, what is Jesus even meaning? But what he means when he desires that all are one, first he is referring to the deep, intimate relationship that he shares with God the Father, and he wants us to have that same relationship with God our Father. That may seem a little intimidating for some as thinking of God our Father as being aloof, as being distant, as being harsh. But through Christ, we see that God our Father is a a perfect heavenly Father. So we're invited into a relationship with Christ, with God. Second, it introduces this idea of identity or belonging. In a word, Jesus is referring to unity. And unity is the process of different parts being joined together as a whole. Thinking of of, of a a bicycle spoke or a tire spoke, you have a, a tire that has different spokes, different parts, each playing a role, but they come together to make the wheel of a bicycle. And so this idea of unity is so important to Jesus that he mentions it six times in this prayer in John 17. Three of those times come in our short verses this morning. Jesus is emphasizing his desire that the church is one. And so when we come to know Jesus, he makes us one with him, and he makes us one with each other, where we belong to each other. We are part of the same body. We share each other's desires, each other's wants, each other's fears, each other's burdens. And so we are invited into relationship with Christ and relationship with each other. But we are united to Christ and each other through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We all come to him through faith. In fact, Ephesians 2.8 says that, For by grace we are saved through faith. Since we all come to, to faith the same way, there is no barriers, there are no uh, There are no merit system. I don't have to pay dues to be a child of God. I am accepted into the family. I don't have to look the part. I don't have to do the part. I don't have to act the part, but I am saved by my faith in Christ alone. This is the the way that we all come into into the faith together. And so just even thinking back how we started this morning, while we share more in common with different groups that we belong to, we have something far greater in common with each other, a shared identity. We are all sons and daughters of God, which means that we belong together. In fact, pastor and theologian D.A. Carson states this. He says, regardless of our denominational affiliation, there ought to be among Christian people, Christ people a sincere kinship, a mutual love, a common commitment, a deep desire to learn from one another and to come, if at all possible, to a shared understanding of the truth on any point. Such unity ought to be so transparent and compelling that others are attracted to it. See, if Jesus desired that the church is one, then we pursue that unity with others. That ought to be our highest priority. We 
are unified with other believers because of the fact that we all come to Christ by faith. And so it is our responsibility to pursue each other, to belong to each other. And one of the reasons why I love our new home is because we are sharing the space with two different churches. There are theological differences. There are cultural differences. There are ethnic differences between us and and the other two churches. But it creates a real opportunity for us as a body of believers to, to pursue that unity that we have with those two other churches. It creates an opportunity for us to look for ways to to advance the gospel here in Yakima, creates opportunity for us to love and pursue them because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, is, Jesus doesn't only desire that we are one, but he also desires that the church displays God's glorious redemption. He says in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them. And so Jesus is underscoring one of the things of of, of why our gathering is important, one of the many reasons why we gather on Sunday mornings. And it is because of all of the stories of God's redemption that is in this room right now. I know people in this room who have overcome the, the bonds of substance abuse, of, of, uh, of depression, It's been a tough journey, and God has delivered them from their addictions, bringing healing and hearts to their bodies by his power. And just by, uh, I've also seen others um, freed from the bonds of sexual impurity, of pornography, of sexual addiction, that the Lord has brought people out of that of that sin, of that oppression, and he has brought healing to minds. He has brought restoration in relationships. I know people who have struggled in the faith, who've, uh, who have seen just the gloriousness of God's redemption in their lives, and they are here because of the glory of God. Marriages restored where they were broken, where they had broken marriages, and they came together, and they were able to be uh, pursuing Christ together, and the Lord has brought healing. The Lord has brought freedom in their, in their relationship. But we come together to display God's glory in our lives, to display the redemption in our lives through our faith in Christ. But you know what these stories of redemption and glory do for us, just on a practical level? It gives us hope and trust that, we are, that whatever we are facing that God is able to bring healing for our lives too. That we are not alone, that we are not to suffer alone, and that the power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that is working in our lives, restoring us and redeeming us to better and, and, and to, to display the glory of God. This is why we gather together to allow the Spirit to shine through us and that the glory of God is reminding each, of, each and all of us of his glory and his power and his redemption. The church is God's primary place where, we are, where he desires that we grow in our faith. So Jesus desires that we are one and he desires that we share in that glorious redemption. But he also desires that the church becomes perfectly one. This may seem like we've, we've already talked about this one, but I want you to look, or let's look at what 
Jesus says in verse 23, he says, I, am, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. And I want you to underline these words, become perfectly one. The reality here is that while we are already one with others, uh, we are not yet completely and totally perfectly one. We have something to strive for, something to work towards alongside our brothers and sisters of, in Christ of all, uh, of all ethnicities, of all languages, of all of these barriers these, that, we, that we have. But since we all come to grace by faith, uh, we have glimpses of how we pursue that unity. And it's not on the basis of earthly div- divisions, it's the completed work of Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in a couple different places, Galatians 3.28 and Colossians 3.11, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of these earthly divisions that we build up, the gospel tears down. All of these things that we come together in our commonalities, the gospel undoes. And so because we all come to know Christ through, by grace and faith alone, nothing that we do stands on our own merit. And we have glimpses of the perfect unity that we're going to have in Revelation 7, the last book of the Bible where people from all tribes All nations, all tongues are going to come together and they are going to worship Christ as one body. This is the picture of what we will be. And we can look to heaven and we can have these tastes and these glimpses of heaven. But these pictures, because we know what we will be, inspires us to pursue that for today. To pursue those things in our daily life. This is what it means to be perfectly one, where we have what we're going to be and we can pursue that, of the greater glory and enjoyment to come. And for some of you, I recognize that as I'm talking about the ideal church and everyone coming together and singing and and praising together and a lot of love and all of these things, and, and I recognize this isn't your experience. I recognize that you have been hurt by the church You've been hurt by the people of God. And if that is you this morning, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the people of God have caused you pain through, through disunity, through brokenness. And I know that you are hesitant to be around Christians for that reason. And I want to say that I understand you. I've been in a similar place myself. And as I hear these stories, it hurts me to see the people of God hurting others. But I do know that that the church is a taste of heaven to come. And that in spite of the fact that we often fail, that we often make mistakes in living in this world, that when the church is pursuing Christ together, that this is a glimpse of the things to come. And so... This is why, as a body together, that we come together to pursue the unity that we already have, not to pursue our agenda, not to pursue our common goals, our interests, but to pursue each other in Christ. So when we see that the church of God is one with Christ, one with another, uh, powerful things happen in our city. 
In fact, Jesus gives us that the greatest evangelistic tool the church has is its unity with other believers. I skip something important in, these, in this text. It's a promise that Jesus gives us. But look at verses 21 and 23 again. He says, So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then in 23 he says, So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. These two verses show us that the, how we reach the world with the hope of the gospel. It's not through our programs. It's not through our evangelistic crusades. It's not through our serving our city. It's not through doing all kinds of different things. These are good things that we should be pursuing. But the primary, primary way we reach the world is through the pursuit of the unity with other believers. It is the pursuit of the unity that is rooted in the gospel, rooted in first knowing Jesus, abiding in him, and then pursuing the unity of, of, with other believers, making Christ known because we belong to him and we belong to each other. And it leads me to the point of our message this morning that the world knows Jesus through the unity of the church. What Jesus is telling us is that we're not just saved from our sin, but we are saved to a people. The world is changed because of the unity and love of our church that is rooted in Christ. And God, God shows us that his plan to bring salvation to the world is through the love and the unity of Christians living out in the context of community and relationships. And this is all because we have been adopted into the family of God by faith. And I want to talk about adoption a little bit more. Many of you know my son, Mickey. Uh, he came to be a part of our family a couple years ago. Uh, you can see he's just a little guy. He turns four in June. It's easy for people to look at the two of us and say that we don't belong. They are quick to note all of the earthly differences. Uh, he's short, I'm tall. He has hair, I'm, I'm bald. He's, he's black, I'm white. But people are quick to talk about all of these differences. He's better looking, he's more funny, he's more athletic than I could ever dream about being. But the reality is, we belong to each other. We have the same last name. You know what his name on his birth certificate says? Heed. You know what? His last name, when he gets a driver's license, is going to say, Heed. You know that he has been brought into our family, and we, he, he belongs to me. I belong to him. He belongs to my kids. We belong to each other. At the end of the day, the name on the back of his jersey is going to be Heed. We are on the same t- team in spite of the very many differences that we have. In Christ, we see the same thing. How much more true is it for us? Because we all belong to Christ together. We are all adopted as sons and daughters because of our common faith in Christ. Because of our shared identity, we are to pursue each other. We are to love each other. And because of, of this, we all share the same name on the back of our jersey, and that's Christ. We belong to each other because we have been brought into the same family. 
So how do we pursue the unity that we already have in Christ? And we'll just, I have three simple ways for you, just allowing the God's love to pour out through you in these as a commitment to each other, just to, because we belong to each other, these are the, some of the things that we can do. Uh, the first one is be hospitable towards one another. You see, Christ has shown us hospitality, welcoming us into the family of God, welcoming us into a relationship with him. And so what hospitality says is, I may not know you, but I desire to know you because we belong to each other. I desire to grow in relationship with you. You matter and value because you are a child of God. This is what hospitality is is telling us. And so hospitality is a simple act of welcoming people into our lives, getting to know them beyond name only, desiring to know someone deeper, desiring to know their heart, their dreams, their aspirations, their fears, their values, the things that make this person unique. I love the idea of some putting, uh, uh, blocking out calendar time with just showing hospitality. And it seems to put, it seems weird to put uh, uh, hospitality down on your calendar, right? You have to plan to make it happen. But the reality is, is we all have busy lives. We all have things happening and going on that sometimes hospitality just doesn't make it on the list. And since I know that most of us use planners, as you're planning the next month, block out a block of time to invite someone into your life, to get to know them, to invest in them in relationship. And hospitality doesn't just have to be inviting people into your home. It can also be inviting people out for coffee. It can be inviting people out for a meal or inviting people to get to know them, to invest in them in relationship. In fact, I know one family has a crock pot on after church and it creates an opportunity. Let's invite people that we don't know very well into our home to get to know them, to get to know what they're like, what they enjoy. But hospitality is a way for us to deepen relationships with others. We do that because we belong to each other. But we also pursue the unity, uh, we pursue unity through hospitality, but in other ways we pursue unity by bearing one another's burdens. Like hospitality, bearing burdens requires us to know and to know others. Bearing burdens simply means to plug into the life of the church, to know what people are, what's, what's going on in people's lives, to know the needs of the people of restoration. It doesn't mean that you have to know everybody, but it does mean that you have to know somebody. What, what bearing another burden says is, I may not understand everything that you're going through, I may not have all the right words, but because we belong to each other, I'm not going to allow you to walk or to suffer alone. I think the effects of two years of the pandemic has created a lot of isolation for people, where we have seen friends that have isolated themselves and and have lost friendships over these years. Bearing another burden says, I'm not going to allow you to sink away and to suffer alone. And so we bear each other's burdens because we belong to each other. It doesn't mean that you fight other people's battles, but it does mean that you are fighting, you're helping them fight their battles. Praying for them, encouraging them, calling them, and continuing to invest in in friends. And one, one way that you can 
buried other burdens with other believers is by being in a life group with, with folks, walking alongside them, praying for them, praying for a group of people. See, for me, I know that my life group prevented me from completely being isolated and alone in the heart of the pandemic two years ago. But we prayed for each other. We encouraged one another. And we walked alongside each other. And so if you're not in a life group, I'd love for you to, to talk to me about what life groups are and all of these things. But the root of bearing other burdens is an availability to listen to others, to listen what is going on in their life. And if you don't know people, maybe, maybe today is start, starting the process of getting to know someone that you kind of know, don't know. Invite them out for a meal, get to know them, get to know their heart, see how you can bear their burdens together. We pursue unity through hospitality. We pursue unity through bearing burdens with one another. And we also pursue unity by serving one another. You see, at the beginning of the farewell discourse, Jesus models his love for his disciples by washing their feet in John 13. He shows that love requires service. The heart of serving is a desire to do something alongside the people of restoration. What serving says, what it communicates to people, because I love you, because I belong to you, I'm going to take care of your needs, and you also can take care of my needs. There's mutual love and care there. It can look like uh, installing or painting a fence for someone who needs that help. It can look like writing a note of encouragement or calling someone on the phone who you know is struggling. It can even look like providing meals for families that are recovering from surgeries or are celebrating the birth of a new child or any other facet of, of ways. In fact, I saw three separate meal trains come across my desk in the last month. And just seeing the, the body of Christ meet those needs to come alongside families who were recovering from surgery, who were recovering from grief, who were recovering from, um, from childbirth, childbirth, and, and coming together to serve and meet a practical need. You see, I think that we can look at hundreds of different examples of what it looks like to serve and to love other believers. But sometimes, serving others starts on Sunday morning. And think of getting, I know for some of you, think of getting, of getting on a serving team seems daunting or challenging, but service is at the heart of being a Christian because of our mutual love and for each other, because of our mutual identity. And if that's you where you're not on a serve team, I'd love for you to fill out a connection card or just let me know, um, ask me questions about what serving looks like. But we can look and see hundreds of different examples of us serving the body of Christ, not just on Sunday morning, but Sunday morning and beyond. The question is not how to serve. The question is who to serve. And we serve each other because we love each other, because we belong to one another. What kind of impact would restoration have on our city if we all pursued the unity that we have with other believers? I think back to my own life where I grew up in the church. I grew up around Christians, and I... In my own life, I was hurt by the church. I was hurt and confused by the pursuit that the church had for themselves. And it led me to walking away from the faith for a few years. I ultimately found myself isolated 
alone and confused. And it was at that point in my life that I, I didn't have anyone to belong to. I didn't have any community. I was at the bottom of, of my life. And I decided that I needed to go back to something familiar. And I, I went back to church. And once I was back, I found something that I missed growing up. I found Christians were imperfectly loving one another. I saw Christians were coming alongside each other to show hospitality, to show uh, that they were bearing each other's burdens. I saw these Christians serving one another. And you know what that did for me? That these people coming alongside, not just themselves, but me also, like the Lord spoke to me through this church. That because of them inviting me into the part of their family, showing hospitality to me, bearing my burdens, even though they didn't know my story, even know what was going on, that they were serving me, the Lord spoke to me and he softened my heart towards him, towards his people, that I understood, or that I understood at that time, that I don't fully understand how God works. I don't fully understand who God is. I don't fully understand this mystical union that we have with each other. But the Lord brought me back into relationship over the course of several months because this church pursued me as if I belonged to them. I still don't have everything figured out about God, about the church, about heaven, but I know that we belong to each other. If this small church was able to have that impact on my life, how much more could restoration have an impact on Yakima? See, when the church and the Christ is one with each other, growth of the church is unstoppable. The world knows Jesus through the unity and love of the church. Will you pray with me?